Tuesday, the 30th of March, 2021. I am Todd Brinker. Aaron will be joining us momentarily. We hope that you are having a wonderful day. Of course, if you're listening to this in the evening, then that would have been appropriate. I'm actually recording it in the morning, so <laughs> at least it's the morning for me. It's the evening somewhere, right? Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Tuesday, the 30th of March. We've got one more day left in the month. Easter Sunday is right around the corner, um, and uh, so millions of Christians will be celebrating uh, Christ's rising from the grave and uh, and the basis for their entire faith. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, and springtime is around the corner. Weather is getting warmer. The uh, COVID virus seems to be on the run. To some extent, um, I think that there, you know, there are pockets where we're seeing some concerns and we need to keep an eye on that and watch what's happening and see which versions of the virus are cropping up. Uh, I saw an article yesterday or the day before where uh, Brazil is getting hit with another wave right now. And of particular concern is that it's uh, there's now two varieties of the uh, of the COVID virus that have seemed to be coming out of Brazil or unique to Brazil. And one of those two is trending much younger, that people in their 30s and 40s are now dying as a result of this newer variety. Whereas, generally speaking, if you were uh, not in your 60s and 70s and, and not having pre-existing conditions, then you were probably just going to have a case that would be similar to uh, a bad flu or a cold. Um, and some people obviously were asymptomatic and didn't even know that they were positive and, and that they had the virus. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, you know, there's some concerns there that there's a variety that is trending younger that's actually causing people who are healthy and in their 30s and 40s to die. Um, and so we need to keep an eye on that, see what's going on there, and, you know, perhaps uh, do some, some blocking or quarantining of areas where there's hot spots. Hopefully Brazil can take care of a lot of that. Um, they have been pretty notoriously poor at handling things up to this point, at least as our news reports. Um, you know, I think we should probably check and see what you know BBC and Al Jazeera says about that because they might have different sources, and our news sources tend to be very, very slanted towards uh, whatever their person personal political agendas happen to be. Um, to that end, uh, this weekend on uh, NBC's um, meet the press, Chuck Todd, who's the host, had on uh, Republican Senator Pat Toomey. And he basically asked him some pretty set up leading questions, trying to get him to be critical of his party. And Toomey didn't take the bite, the bait. They, you know, they, they, uh, they politely disagreed. I think Toomey basically just said, you know, you're not framing the question right. You're asking the questions wrong. And, it, and it, you know, the way you're doing it is basically setting me up to say something that I don't want to say. And so here's here's what I want to say. And then said it. Um, he didn't quite phrase it like that. But but he, he you know, I mean, uh, Chuck Todd is is a, a noted liberal uh, news person on these on these weekend t- news talk shows. 
and Toomey said that you know the narrative in you know the the narrative that you're pushing is completely false. That it's a completely false narrative about so-called voter suppression, um, and this has to do with HR uh, one and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and. The way that Chuck Todd posed the question, he said, I want to separate H.R. 1 from the John Lewis Rights Voting Act uh, or Voting Rights Act. Do you believe there is enough? There are 10 Republicans to do an updated uh, version of the Voting Rights Act, something that used to be fairly easy to get done in a bipartisan way. And I know the issues with H.R. 1 and I'm trying to separate the two. Uh, Where are you on this? And Toomey didn't take the bait. He didn't, uh, you know, try to to defend the position that uh, that Chuck Todd had framed as the Republican position. Here's Aaron. We'll have her input on this as well. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Todd. So um, I was talking about, um, uh, well, I started talking about news bias and political bias in, in uh, coming out of um, Brazil because of the variants there that have trended towards causing the deaths of 30 and 40 year olds. And that's something of concern that we need to keep our eye on and, uh, and perhaps do some, some sequestering of people, you know, and, and checking to verify what, you know, variety O COVID they got since there seems to be a cornucopia of different varieties now. Um, but from there, I segued into the article that you had set aside about Chuck dot Chuck Todd trying to set up Senator Toomey, uh, and Toomey not taking the bait and basically, uh, uh, he he said that, um, you know, in H.R. 1, issues like increasing, and he called it the insidious practice of ballot harvesting, uh, you know, of people going through, um, like, uh, retirement homes and coming out with a bunch of ballots that, strangely enough, always match whatever the person who's collecting them's party is. Um, and... Uh, you know, and he said that there's a completely false narr- narrative about voter suppression. Um, and so, you know, they were arguing that it was interesting, you know, that, you know, Todd is a, a noted liberal liberal and he tried to phrase the question such that you could, you know, basically put down your party if you say this or you say that. And Toomey basically said, I'm going to reframe the question because the way you frame that question is is inaccurate. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, so and, it's and the question of. At what point did you stop beating your wife? Wait, 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 wait right. a minute. I never yeah. beat my wife in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I mean, Toomey's not uh, not a new senator. He's not a new politician. So he's used to those kinds of things. And so he, he handled it well in expressing his opinions on the point, um, uh, you know, Todd persisted, though, in saying, I'm just curious, though, do you think it's a good look for your party that after a presidential loss and after former candidate basically creates a false narrative and lies about what happened or why it happened, that these laws are getting changed under false pretenses? That's not a good look for the Republican Party, is it not? So, I mean, how, you know, how set up is that? (laughs) You know, Um, you know, and and uh, and Toomey says uh, we should be honest about this. We made very dramatic sweeping changes to accommodate the circumstances of a global pandemic that had huge implications, and some of those sweeping changes included provisions that are really actually tough to verify the accuracy of the vote, and we have an awful lot of Americans who are worried about the integrity of the system. So some common-sense measures like requiring an ID to get an absentee ballot or to vote, that just makes a lot of sense. Yes. Um, I actually um, read a good chunk. I didn't finish all 
um, you know, uh, uh, all of it. Sorry, I'm merging into traffic behind somebody who's decided that 45 miles an hour is a good t- mile. It's a good speed for getting on a freeway. Yeah, because why not? <laughs> Inexplicably, there's nobody in front of them. All right. So, yeah. um, Are they driving a 1972 Chevette? Because that's as fast as it can go. Yeah. So, anywho, um, I've read a, a good chunk of that Georgia bill, and right. um, it, there's nothing in it that looks outrageous to me. Nothing. Nothing that seems yeah. like it would suppress anybody's vote anywhere. I, I don't like the unfettered, you know, you can, you can vote in July for an election that happens in November. I don't mind early voting, but I think it should be right. limited to the last couple of weeks before the in, in, um, election. Yeah, that would be my my feelings too. Um, what I would say is is that you know they only make the ballots available during that period of time, and so then the election can't because you don't even have the candidates all necessarily lined up. Um, yes. You know, a lot of states, you know, that happens. That can happen. You know, sixty days or ninety days in front is as early as you know as they can even be ver- verified to be on the ballot because they got to print the ballots. And so you know, you, I mean, yeah, voting in July for November elections is silly. Um, yes. My question is, and this is the thing that that a lot of the uh, Democrats are beating uh, the drum on, is the the alleged section that says that you can't give anybody a bottle of water while they're waiting in line to vote. So what that was that was done that was to prevent people from electioneering in line, and right. and which is already illegal. It's already illegal. Yes, but there there were ways. You know, people are. Are clever and they they, they um, come up with workarounds. What I imagine mm-hmm. what will happen because Georgia's hot. Let's be honest. So they'll mm-hmm. have poll workers handing out water instead of campaign staff. Right. Yeah, and and quite frankly, I you know I, when it comes to that, most people standing in line aren't going to change their vote because somebody comes up and hands them a bottle of water. Most people standing there to vote aren't going. Hmm, I wonder what I'm going to do, and they make the decision when they get to the booth. You know, it's they know what they're doing. And so I think that's an un, I personally think that's an unnecessary block that gave a talking point to to people who who want, you know, elections to be anybody who shows up. Um, and, you know, I I honestly come down on this is I, I want as many people to vote as possible, but I have absolutely no issue with proving that you are who you say you are, you know, and if that means yeah. bringing a birth certificate or a. Um, a you know a state issued ID or a passport or you know a even bring me a um, you know uh, a utility bill. I mean that's you know they they do that even when you're renting a house. Sometimes if you're you know renting something, they'll say, well, show me a utility that you've paid from some other place, just so that I can show that you know you actually have have you know been vetted by the utility company. And they say you know you are who you are and you you made your payments. You know, and so um, you know th- that's common. I- I mean, you know, you. I think the idea that there's a demographic of people who can't find a way to get an identification of some sort, I just, Uh I just, you know, I just don't believe those people exist. I think asking a person to have a a uh, a state issued ID card or driver's license or you know a federal ID of some kind, a school ID of some kind, I think, I think that's fine. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, everybody has to have identification to drive, to 
um, uh, you know, to do anything. Think about all the places right. where you go to get a, go to the doctor's office. You got to show ID. You go right. to buy liquor. You got to show ID. Buy cigarettes. You got to show ID. I, I just I don't think it's you know I I, yeah. I honestly yeah. think that that the people who and it's usually white liberals who are out there saying that um, well you know these minority communities they don't have IDs. Oh my God, how stupid do you think they are? That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, that you don't have to hold their hand. Yeah, they're not they're exactly not invalid. What the hell is yeah, wrong? Yeah, even with even you? homeless people have IDs and have um, uh, cell phones. I mean, it's it's you know, I just saw a statistic the other day where they were talking about uh, smartphone penetration, and they said yes. that that uh, that your eco- socioeconomic status had nothing to do with the penetration and use of smartphones, and in fact yes. that uh, you know at every level. People have smartphones, so if they can manage they to do. get a smartphone, they can manage to get an ID. Um, yes, you know it's not that it's not that uh, tough. So yeah, I, I that's my feeling too. I think we're in agreement on this. I just I you know they they beat the drum that somehow this is like cheating people out, and it's it's and they 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 scare people by saying it's a uh, a return to um, you know the some of those southern states practices of of you know Jim Crow. Jim Crow things, guessing the number of jelly beans. And, you know, th- that's not what we're talking about. We're just saying show, you know, prove who you are. And quite frankly, I'd even be fine if, you, if it's like if you don't have any of that stuff, fine. Then you'll get a provisional ballot because they already have provisional ballots if there's some, you know, if, if, if there's questions. I mean, you know, there are, you know, are reasons to do a provisional ballot. You know, if you show up to a polling place that isn't the one that is in your neighborhood, you may not be on their roster. So you can fill out a provisional ballot and they'll just check it against you know, the roster, you know, and verify it at a later point. You know, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I see no problem with. And the other thing I think, quite honestly, we should do is not only should we require IDs uh, or some some form of identification, and I'd be fairly loose in what it is, as I said. Um, but, you know, it, it should be a holiday. This is ridiculous that people have to take off from work or, yeah. or duck out. And I know that there's laws saying that they have to let you off, but... Just make it a day, uh, the voting day, a holiday, a national holiday. Yeah. Yes. You know, if you really care, make it a holiday, and then yes. everybody can I, go I, just out, spend the whole day standing in line and ch- talking with your friends and neighbors. You know. Yes. Yes, I I I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, make it a holiday. I'm fine with that. We should be in charge. They should vote for us so we can do these things. <laughs> Now, I, yeah. I, uh, I, do, I don't believe that voter suppression, despite what Stacey Abrams says, that voter, that voter suppression is happening. I also, you know, on any large scale, just like I don't think voter fraud is happening on any large scale, but that's not mm-hmm. to say that, that there isn't some of it going on in some places, right? Maybe there's a precinct yeah. where, you know, yeah. both things are happening on occasion in certain places. Right. You know, when you've got 350 million people, it's not going to be perfect. No. So. No. Um, so I waited for you to come on before I talked about it. We had a trivia question as we left the radio show today. What three sports-related movies have won Best Picture Oscars? Now, I share. I probably shouldn't have done this because I already shared with you the answers. I was going to say if you could come up with them. It's interesting that two of them are boxing movies. So, so there was one of them that I knew. Uh, well, actually, two mm-hmm. of them I kind of knew, but it took me a second. But mm-hmm. the third one I did not know at all. 
So, yeah, that's a so I, um, Clint Eastwood movie. Yes. And, and, but once you mentioned it, it was like, oh, yeah. Now I remember mm-hmm. that movie, but it's not one that I remember. So I'm shocked of, that it's not Raging Bull. That, to me, if you were going to do a boxing movie, I would have thought that would have been one of them. But the first one, I think, is going to surprise people because it was popular. And very often, popular movies don't win Best Picture, right? First one, Rocky. You know, But that first Rocky movie, yeah, that first Rocky movie was really good. It was like the first Blood movie, the first Rambo movie was called First Blood. The first movie was completely different than the the cartoon superhero that he became in subsequent movies. (laughs) You know, I mean... It was a story about a guy coming home from Vietnam, and you know it was it was a more believable narrative there. And then he became yes. like, yes, giant explosions and boom, and I'm gonna get my way back. I'll save you, you know, uh, you know. And subsequent Rocky movies have gone from cartoon to actually pretty good movies again, you know. But uh, yeah, Stallone was the director. For, Cherry, or for Rocky, and I, I just gave away the second one. Second one was an, an Olympics movie, Chariots of Fire. The thing I think everybody remembers about that is the slow motion scenes of them running on the beach yes. with the music. Dun 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 dun. Bom bom. It was uh, Vangelis, right? It did the the um, uh, synthesized soundtrack to that. And then the last one, the other boxing movie, I, I alluded to it when I said it was a Clint Eastwood movie. It was Million Dollar Baby. Yes, and I had forgotten about that one. I, I, uh, I've not seen it, although I hear it's excellent. It yeah, it was, it was, it won, yeah, it was, well, it was, you know, best, um, uh, best movie. And it was sort of what put Hillary Swank on the map. You know, that was her sort of like stepping stone to being a famous person. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, she did a phenomenal job in that. It, uh, it won four, it won best picture, best director, best actress, and best supporting actress for Morgan Freeman, or actress, actor for, uh, uh, Morgan Freeman. So I remember that, that people were pretty bitter about uh, Hillary Swank winning that year because her claim to fame before that movie was she was on 90210 was kind of a minor character. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. she got cast in that and everybody was like, what Yeah, the heck? but since that time, I think people have generally recognized that she's got pretty good acting chops. Oh, absolutely. But you're right. That was just yeah. bitter, petty Hollywood types. Right. Wondering why they didn't win. So, yeah, probably. Was, probably. Was nasty back then. Well, remember when Marissa Tomei yeah, won it all? I was going to say, that was the one that I always remember. Marissa Tomei got Best Supporting Actress for My Cousin Vinny, in which she was just outstanding and and played it just to the hilt. And uh, and just got all kinds of flack about that. You know, people would go, yeah, yeah, Oscar winning actress. You know, bleh. you know, the hoity doity uh, Hollywood types didn't think that, A, a comedy playing Mona Lisa uh, Vito was uh, was worthy of that. And it was, you know, pretty much a caricature of, you know, New York Italian-Americans living in, in you know, fish-out-of-water story, right? Living in or being yes. down in Alabama trying to uh, to get their cousin. Their cousin Vinny is trying to get the two boys 
uh, oh, he's, he's acting as a lawyer for them in a murder trial, basically. And they didn't do it, and he's got to prove that. And she is Vinny's fiance. And I thought she was hilarious and did a great job in that. And I've seen her in other things. And honestly, I, I have enjoyed her acting. I thought I thought they were, you know, just being cruel. But, you know, like you said, I think it was just bitterness because it's like, well, how come she gets it for that? And I didn't get it for, you know, insert whatever they did there, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, that was a good movie. I, that was a lot of fun. I love seeing Fred Gwynn, who played Herman on The Munsters and... uh uh, car 50 he was also in car 54 where are you in the 50 or in the 60s uh, and uh, and you know great actor deep resonating voice and he played the judge the southern judge and was just excellent at it yep. and uh, what the, what I think he you? passed not too long after that so it was uh, um, funny to see him playing that role because I grew up with him as Herman Munster yeah, my, my cousin Vinny was his last movie uh, in 1992. And I will I will say what I always say when it comes to to this movie: the the two the boys, that young man that were accused of uh, of murder. One of them was Italian, mm-hmm. and one of them was Jewish. And why is it the Italian kid is the one who had the relative who was an attorney? <laughs> yeah, you know, it just seems yeah. wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, cute movie. Very cute You know, movie. The, the two boys' roles were actually fairly small. They were just standing around acting bewildered most of the time and, and befuddled as to what was going on. It was really all about Joe Pesci and, uh, and uh, Marissa Tomei, but... Uh, it, cute movie, cute movie, you know. And the, it was, everything was caricatures, right? It was these, these strange and goofy people in the South that, that, that these New Yorkers couldn't wrap their heads around as to why things happened the way they did. And, and, uh, and then, of course, the New Yorkers playing, again, cartoon versions of, of what you would expect New Yorkers to be, right? Yes. So, but I love Honestly, she struck stories. me more as a Jersey type, you know, like Jersey Shore type. Yes. I, but, uh, I, you... uh, I love fish out of water stories. So my yeah. favorite, my favorite rom-com is, um, fools rush in and oh, yeah. which is a fish, uh, a fish out of water story. And I love my big fat Greek wedding, which is also a fish out of water mm-hmm. story. Um, you know, I just, uh, they're just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew Perry does a great job. Salma Hayek and fools rush. And that's also one of my favorite movies. Um, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's a whole bunch of saying something that sort of offends the other person and you didn't realize it. And, and the other person trying to act like they're not bothered by what you just said, even though they generally are. And, you know, and, and misunderstandings because of, of, uh, you know, social differences and different groups of people. It's, it's fun to explore those differences and make fun of them because then we're talking about them and, you know, and then in real life everybody can laugh on both sides as long as you're not always doing it at the expense of one party versus the other in the movie. Um, you know, I think it's well done. And so, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Clint Eastwood has proven time and time again that he's just a phenomenal director and, uh, and picks really good projects. And so this was, you know, I don't know if it was his first, um, Academy award for directing, but, uh, he uh, is, uh, you know, 
one of those guys who who transitioned from being a star and can still be a star in every movie that he's in if he wants to, um, you know, but also steps behind the scenes and has gotten nothing but praise from people who have been in his movies for how he directs the movie. And he tells good stories, you know. That's what I always liked about Ron Howard movies, too, you know, just tells good stories. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes that's what you need. You need that little bit of escapism and tell me a story about something. So... Unless, of course, it's a four-hour vanity project to create a different version of Justice League, in which case, tell me a good story more quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I actually liked the movie very much. I liked um, the four-hour version that he's got released on. I think it's HBO Max right now. But, um, uh, yeah, it went from a two-hour movie to a four-hour movie. And I'm like, well, it probably could have been at least... I think you could have made it three and a half and still been a better movie, <laughs> but... But I'll, I'll tell you, I sat for the four hours and watched it and didn't really, you know, like get too fidgety. So that tells me that, you know, it was, kept my attention. It was a pretty good movie. That being the um, the uh, Justice League um, extended director's release, the Zack Snyder release of the Justice League. So if you have such an interest, I know you don't, Aaron, but... L- listeners, if you have an interest, it's, it's, you know, set aside half a day and sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> At least there's not multiple sequels like, uh, like you know, if you watch the extended versions of Lord of the Rings, that's literally a 12-hour effort. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then you've but... got The Hobbit. <laughs> yes, and the Hobbit, the Hobbit movies were were okay. The Lord of the Lord of the Rings movies were epic. They yeah, were, I agree. They kind of stretched were... the Hobbit material and added stuff to it to fill out three movies. Yeah. You know. Yes. The the. The Lord of the Rings, they still cut stuff out, you know, but yeah, they were absolutely grand and epic and you were waiting for each subsequent movie to come out because they were such good storytelling and good source material. So did we talk about the fact that uh, George Martin uh, got a eight figure payoff from HBO? And so fans are going, what, throwing their hands up in the air going, well, he'll never finish those stupid books now because he's now got a... (laughs) He's got a five-year, multi-million-dollar deal to to help them develop TV shows, and it's like crap. We thought after a year of lockdown he would have a book done, but no, HBO has to screw us all over. Well, you know, he's. A- I can't blame the guy for going where the money is. You know, I mean, people dangle you know eight-figure numbers in front of you. You go okay. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't make that selling a book. I'm sure he makes money, but he doesn't make that much. So, hey, we were talking about filmmakers, and I was flipping around earlier, and I saw some sad news. Uh, James Redford, Robert Redford's son, one of his sons, he has two sons and a daughter, or had two sons and a daughter, passed away. He was 58 years old. Oh, my God. And Yeah, he had liver cancer and apparently had been battling it for a couple years. And it was bile duct cancer in his liver. And uh, Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And so, but, you know, he was, his family was there with him and, uh, you know, and were surrounding him as, as he passed. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I feel particularly bad for those people who, um, uh, over this past year when you couldn't have family around, right? Yeah. And so you you were, you were suffering all by yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get to have your loved ones there and talk to them and, you know, and I guess, you know, accidental deaths happen all the time where you don't get to have your goodbyes and stuff. But when you have a a disease that you know is killing you slowly over a period of time, 
um, you know, everybody can kind of get their head wrapped around that and be prepared for it. And you can talk to them and tell them that you love them. And, and you know, and, and uh, um, you know, I don't know how what his situation was, but apparently his loved ones were around him. Um, you know, That's I think a so lot of people awful. have found ways to do that. And a lot of hospitals have also said, well, you know, when we know this is near the end, of, you know, COVID protocols be damned, we're going to find a way to get you, you know, at least in the room so you can talk to your loved ones. And so... Um, you know, try to do it as safely as you can, but, you know, this is literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to talk to somebody before they're gone, so, um, yeah, sad story, um, so, didn't mean to bring the whole mood down, though, so, uh, well, I was I, flipping I have... around, oh, go ahead. No, I, I found an article here on, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine that, um, you know, dear entrepreneurs, you're not lazy, you're scared, which I thought was interesting. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they talk about procrastination, making excuses, like, and, the, and they set the scenario. The alarm goes off, slicing through the quiet darkness of your bedroom. It's 5 a.m. Outside, the air is damp and cold, but your bed is soft and warm. There's nothing in the world that sounds less appealing than getting up, fumbling for your running shoes, and heading out the door. What do you do? <laughs> That's how I felt this morning, except I was, you know, grabbing my felt slippers. It was like, oh, yeah. it's all warm and cozy here. The room is cold. My blankets are warm. And uh, my arm is really sore. Maybe I'll just stay here. But no, I have a duty. I have a job to do. I got up here to talk to you and share my opinions with the world because it's important that they hear me. There you I go. I couldn't even say that without, I couldn't say that without chuckling. So they, they go on to say that... Um, that uh, the professional athletes go through the same thing, and they they talk mm -hmm. about how um, so much of what they do is is mental. Um, you know, it's it's mm -hmm. it's beating the the um, opponent in your head as much as it's beating 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 the opponent in yeah. whatever sport that they're playing. And absolutely it, is, yeah. And their poor um, coaches, they don't get any of the glory, but they have to get up every morning too for morning practice. Exactly. So in a widely read piece for Medium, uh, John Gorman writes that what prevents most of us from achieving our dreams isn't laziness, it's fear. Um, fear doesn't manifest itself like you think, because oftentimes we don't get the chance to. Fear, this is what he says, fear isn't always the sweaty palms that stop us cold in a job interview. Fear is generally what prevents us from applying in the first place. It's so subtly limiting that we often build around it without even noticing it is there. Um, the fear is there for a reason. Taking a flying leap into uncharted territory is scary. What if your new startup fails? What if you're not actually a great writer? What if you lack the skills and qualifications to start that new career? You won't know if you don't try, but I don't mean trying once, uh, trying once, failing and giving up. This is, you will fail. It, it is, the key is to keep trying. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, and he gives They always tell salespeople, it's like when you're trying to sell things to people, we know statistically that there's, you know, that you'll only sell one in 20 contacts. And so, you know, start your day saying, I'm going to get a sale today, so I've got to talk to 20 people, right? Yes. Now, it doesn't always work, but, but exactly. You know, you'll average over a larger number, you'll get X percent. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a numbers game. So it's like, don't get beat up about it. Just go to the next one. Keep making your pitch. Keep trying, you know? So, Keep training so if you're an athlete. 
So overcoming fear has a lot to do with our innate belief in our own abilities. So, you know, did, did you, it's the voice in your head, right? Is it telling you that you can do this, that you're worth it? Is it telling you that, um, that you are no good and that you're not going to, you're not going to, um, succeed? You know, these people who do these affirmations, there's a reason why they do them, um, to change that voice, change that narrative in their own heads that, that, that get in their way. I mean, we, um, interviews, we interviewed, um, uh, 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 Sandy Gledhill, who wrote this, um, you know, living, a, living a fearless life or a book about being living fearlessly. Um, and that's what she says, you know, fear just, yeah. it's insidious. It is. You so, got to get the, I don't care attitude rolling. And that doesn't mean be callous and cold, but it just means, you know, what, what's going to happen is going to happen, but at least I'm going to be proactive about it. Move forward. Right. Yes. And take the rejection as constructive feedback even if it yeah. wasn't rejection delivered, is just direction exactly even if it wasn't delivered constructively and you move on and it's hard to do right i mean it's it is hard to do um prime confidence according to dr jim taylor who is a sports psychologist psychologist prime confidence is a deep lasting and resilient belief in one's ability with prime confidence you're able to stay confident even when you're not performing well Prime confidence also encourages you to seek out pressure situations and to view difficult conditions and tough opponents as challenges to pursue. Prime confidence mm -hmm. enables you to perform at your highest level consistency. So it's about about changing that fundamental way you see yourself. And 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 at least initially, it's you have to be intentional about it. It's you got to fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, they, there's a quote in here. Everything sucks at first. Very few things suck forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Starting starting to exercise is difficult. Your body adapts pretty quickly. Stick with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. But, but everything's like that, right? I mean, virtually yes. everything that you do is hard until you learn to do it. And that just takes doing it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you have an article from the Galapagos Islands. I do. The Galapagos. <laughs> so imagine if you're working in the airport and you're scanning things as they come through the the uh, uh, x-ray machine, right? And you're sitting there and you're watching and you're going, what are those? And the guy says, oh, those are just a bunch of souvenirs that I got. And... He goes, they're moving. Something's weird there. We want to check your suitcase. And they open it up and find 185 baby tortoises that have been wrapped in saran wrap and stuffed in a suitcase. Oh, my God. Somebody was trying to steal Galapagos tortoises. 185 of them were wrapped in plastic. A finding local authorities called a crime against wildlife and the natural heritage of Ecuadorians who... who uh, you know, the Galapagos are part of Ecuador. Um, That's crazy. That. Yeah. And the x-ray detected what they phrased as irregularities. I can only <laughs> imagine. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. They, uh, the workers were reportedly under the impression that the bag contained souvenirs, but discovered the tortoises upon further inspection. Ten of them were dead. Others were being reviewed. Uh, I think they wrapped them in the saran wrap to keep them from moving around inside the bag 
so their head was out, but their legs, but their I think they I think they wrapped around the body to keep their legs in so they couldn't move, oh. but that their heads were sticking out so that they could breathe. Uh, but still, I mean, 185 tortoises, and you know, just looking at them, these all look like they're maybe you know the size of a hamburger patty, four inches across or so, and so um, you know, that's 185 of them. That's a full and very heavy suitcase um, that somebody was trying to use to smuggle out live baby tortoises. I'm so glad they caught them. Um, I hope that the tortoises are all okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm just... Who, how, how, what kind of a moron would try to do that? You yeah. have to be an absolute moron to think Obviously, the they thought they were going to make notice. money. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but, they, but that's the stupidest way I've ever heard of, just sneaking them out, right? Yeah. That's like getting a big suitcase and sticking your friend in it so that he can fly for free, right? Fly him as yes. your luggage. Yes. And then he, you know, freezes to death when they put him in the luggage hold. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, yes. it's just dumb. Well, it's just and they dumb. But you know what? People, people who are stealing aren't particularly smart. Yeah, exactly. Have you never been through an airport? Have you, do you not know the process? <laughs> you know, everything gets x-rayed, you know. And a lot of uh, foreign airports, there's people standing around with guns. So you don't want to do anything goofy. Yeah. Um, I, I just, what an idiot. And yeah. they deserve they deserve every bit of jail time they're going to get from this. Yes, I'm sure that the Ecuador Ecuadorian um, uh, jail and, and penitentiary system is is comfortable and 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 a, a wonderful <laughs> place to be where you get you know fed every day and get to exercise in the yard regularly. So, um, you know, because they care about that stuff in Ecuador. Go, go enjoy their hospitality, whoever you are, you <laughs> turtle thief. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, and you got to figure too. The guy who was acting as the mule, the one carrying them, may or may not have even known what was in there. So, um, uh, there are people who you know do that under questionable circumstances. Hopefully, they find everybody involved and uh, are able to process them all through their hospitality. <laughs> oh, I yeah. yeah. Turtles. Wow. Yeah, I wonder what the uh, market is in in you know giant Galapagos turtles. I imagine that they can probably sell those for a pretty penny, and they probably knew that a number of them would die, but they were just going to do it anyway. Well, they obviously yeah. don't care about the tortoise itself. They just want to make right. their money. Yep. Yep. Such wow. is life. Let's see. So, what else is going on in the news that we haven't covered already? You know, my um, local section, if I go to Google News, there's always a section there that's my local news, right? And it shows what things going on in Corona. And I have noticed that in the last, like, two months, almost every day, there is a chef or a restaurant highlighted, and they're doing, like, takeout. And so it's like a pop-up takeout restaurants. And I'm not sure who put this or planned it together because it's different cuisines. Like, this week, it's family-style Italian takeout. And when you click on it, you usually can stop by somebody's house and they'll bring it out to the driveway or, or they'll have a pop-up in a parking lot in front of the Stater Brothers or something like that. But there's been Thai food. And they're all by chefs who have worked in restaurants, which is kind of cool. And I think maybe this is just direct money to the chef as they, you know, cook the food. And, they, and it's all done by, uh, by order. So, you, you, you know, you place your order online and so they know how much to cook for everything because it's all pre-ordered. And usually That's they clever. talk about it during the week and you pick up on Fridays. Um, I haven't taken advantage of it yet, but I, I've seen, like I said, Thai food and uh, and, and Mexican food. And tonight, this week it's uh, uh, Italian. 
by Chef Ruben. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good idea, and I like the idea of promoting local chefs and, and you know, helping them find some money if their restaurants have been shut down. Um, so, you yeah, know, they show I, pictures of it. It looks delicious. So I wonder, after this COVID, you know, everything is finally said and done, are we going to see a bunch of new restaurants open up? Are people going to embrace this new new model mm-hmm. uh, instead of, of, of having takeout because there's less overhead? Um, you know, for their, for their, you know, our chef's going to be doing that Are you know, what is, what is it going to look like yeah. moving forward? You know, and you think about places like New York that have always had a culture of takeout, right? They've always had, you know, yeah. um, and delivery. Or as the English just, say, takeaway food. There you go. Um, and, but that hasn't existed except for pizza pretty much anywhere else. But now yeah. it has, you know. And well, so, DoorDash and those kind of places certainly took off over this, over this time period. They did. Yeah. They really did. And not just in urban centers. It's been, you know, it's in, um, you know, smaller cities as well. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch how this disruption plays out in in that market. Yeah. Yeah. What bounces back with restaurants? I know one of my favorite restaurants um, talking to the owner uh, a couple months ago said that their actual amount of food sold has gone up um, and that he's kept his entire staff on basically just bagging and processing and packaging and taking phone calls for to-go orders. And so he didn't have to lay anybody off, and they've actually done really well over this time period, which is great to hear because I love the restaurant, want them to stay in place. Go, um, um... Anchos. Anchos, thank you. I'm like, you knew what I was talking about, and I'm like... Ugh. I totally did. Yeah, Anchos over on Whole Avenue in Riverside, California. If you're in the area, don't go because I want to make sure I can get a table. Um, no, go, go there. Uh, the owner is usually there greeting people. Um, he was one of the two founders of the restaurant. Uh, Pepe retired, but uh, Dean is still there. Um, so uh, say hi and, and tell him that uh, the folks on Back from the Brink uh, sent you down. And they'll go, who? <laughs> Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been going. I mean, it's not like he's a close friend that I would see otherwise or anything like that. But I mean, I've been going for years and uh, and chat with him on occasion when I'm there. And uh, good guy, great restaurant. So um, yeah, support your local restaurants. I'm sure I'm everybody has a favorite. Outside. I know, isn't that terrible? Well, we talk about food, and darn it, it affects <laughs> us. And we are out of time. Time has expired. So tune in tomorrow for the answer to tomorrow's trivia question. We'll have something up. I actually have a, a, a Corona-related question for tomorrow, so that'll be fun. Mm. Uh, and not the uh, virus. So we'll, yes, not coronavirus, but the city o Corona. I thought it nice to get some like local trivia as well. So, um, um, so anyway, nice. we will have it tomorrow on the radio. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Erin Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We will see you tomorrow.